I stand here in fear and trembling. Obviously, I drop everything. Uh, it's good to be here. I uh, have been observing all week what God has been saying to us. And I think that I understand something that uh, probably most of you have caught up on too, and that is that God has been sharing a message that has been unfolding message after message. Began with Dallas Turner sharing the message on sacrifice. And uh, indeed we need to care about what's ahead and uh, it's kind of like floating down a river and it's been calm and then you start hearing this noise and pretty soon you identify it that that's the sound of rapids. And you know you're coming into troubled water. I believe that's kind of what uh, Dallas was sharing with us that uh, it's going to cost us something as we move ahead. It's not going to be like it has been. There are big changes coming. You can see it in the political scene. You can see it in the economic scene. You can see it in the social scene. We hear the rapids. We know it's coming. And then Jim Perry shared a message on uh, worship and preparation. And once you hear the rapids, what's the first thing you want to do? <laughs> Paddle ashore. <laughs> Prepare. Get ready. And so uh, we have that message. Then uh, Dr. Danny uh, shared the message on witnessing. And uh, it's important that we not refocus our attention off of what we're supposed to be doing and keep it on what we are supposed to be doing. And that is through whatever comes, sharing Christ. Brother John Moore shared a very special message I will never forget from Ichabod to Ebenezer. Uh, tremendous title, uh, intrigued me. And basically he shared, how do, you, how do you get from Ichabod to Ebenezer? How do you get from God has departed back to where God has blessed? We need to hear that message real clearly. And Brother Wayne shared a second message on witnessing. I think God is underscoring that point. And one of the things that I think that is important to remember is a witness is best seen in a crisis. Think about the people who stand out in your life uh, who have stood for Christ and almost invariably you can find an example of someone going through a real trial. And in that trial, their stand causes people to see Jesus. In the early church, Christians paid with their life. Something we may have to do. 
But how many of you plan to get out of this life alive? <laughs> I don't think we're going to. There might be a few of us left when, when the Lord comes, but I think for the most part we are going to die. Some of us are closer than we dare to talk about. And some of us may be a long ways off, and we don't know how much time we have, but we do know that that time is coming, and that is not to be feared or dreaded or to be averted. It's not that we're going to die, but it is what are we going to die for? What is your life worth sacrificing for? And of course, the answer is Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going to share something a little different today. I think that message has pretty well been placed, but I think I, my message is basically going to tie this thing up in a little bow, or at least Lord willing it will. And we're going to preach a message out of this world. You may not think it's that great, but it is about being out of this world. What about looking at it from a perspective beyond our position? We're looking at this world as day-to-day, hour-to-hour, experience-to-experience, paycheck-to-paycheck, and so forth. But I'd like to move you in your thinking from our perspective now and kind of look at it from what God is up to. What is God seeing that we're not seeing? What is God wanting us to know that we are not focused on? And so with that, I want to share the message, Preserved Blameless. And I'm going to read several scriptures, and in honor of God's word, I'm going to ask you to stand. But before you do, we're going to be looking in Galatians 1.4. Then we'll move to 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And then again to 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Now, when, you, when we read these, you're going to say, huh? How do those fit together? Well, I think you'll see that as we go. So in honor of God's word, would you stand with me at this time while we read the scriptures? In Galatians 1, 4, it says, referring to Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and Father. Then 1 Thessalonians 5.23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in 1 John uh, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God 
abideth forever. You may be seated. Looking at life from God's perspective, and I sometimes do this as an exercise for my own benefit, I've come to see some things that I, I never understood before. And one of them is the overarching objective of God is not to make us comfortable. Sorry about that, for those of you who are looking for that. It's not to make us prosperous. It's not to make us famous. It's to change us from what we are, creatures of free will and choice, who have chosen sin as a way of life. And then to deliver us from this world freed from sin. I'm gonna ask you a question this morning, and I don't know, some of you may even know the answer to this. How do you catch a monkey? I uh, heard this story uh, some time back, and, and it stuck, and, and it seemed very appropriate today to share it. Uh, to catch a monkey is not hard. The natives know how to do it real easily. Uh, you gotta get in monkey territory, but then it's pretty simple. You find a coconut, and you pull the husk off, and then you drill a hole about the size of a quarter, half dollar, something like that in one end and hollow all of the milk and the flesh out of it and make it just a shell. Then you go to the opposite end of that coconut and you drill a little hole about the size of a pencil and you stick a rope through that hole and tie a knot in it. Then you tie the other end of that rope to a tree. And then in that little hole that doesn't have the rope in it, the little bigger one, uh, you put about a dozen grains of rice and you leave. Pretty soon, a monkey will come along and see that coconut. Well, they're inquisitive creatures and they're always looking for food and he'll pick that coconut up and he'll look inside and he'll see those grains of rice. And he'll take his hand and he'll reach in there real carefully and he'll get those grains of rice in his hand, but now his hand won't come out because he's got hold of the rice. And he wants that rice more than he wants anything else. And he, because he will not let go of that rice, he cannot get his hand out and he forfeits his freedom for a few grains of rice. How like that we are when we look at the world. And we love the world. We want the world just like that monkey wants that rice. And uh, we see everything that's in the world. I noted this one time as uh, I was reading and I, I realized it says all that is in the world. And then it lists them, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. And I says, let me think about that a minute. Uh, uh, what's it really saying? Well, the lust of the flesh is the passions. That's the cravings of the body. Some of them are okay, and some of them are not okay. But they're the cravings of the body. They're of the world. You want to eat, 
It's important to eat. You want to drink water. It's important to drink. But there are some cravings that are not healthy. And we take them to excesses. And uh, we harm ourselves because we want that passion. The lust of the eyes is possessions. Things that you can get and use. Land, money, clothes, whatever. Possessions. Things that make you feel important, feel good. And some of them are okay. And some of them are not okay. Because we go to excesses, don't we? And then the lust of the flesh. Now that's passions. That's uh, desires uh, for position, for example. Or the desire for uh, control. Or the desire for a position of office uh, uh, to be recognized. And so the, all that the world has to offer you is passions, possessions, and positions. And it says some interesting things about those that they are temporary. They're of the world and they're passing away. You cannot hang on to them. It's said of a, a man who was extremely wealthy and he died and they said, how much did he leave? All of it. You can't take any of these things with you. They do not define what you are and what you're becoming. They're only comforts or tools along the way. So it's important to keep things focused and we not become like the monkey refusing to let go of these things in order to have our freedom. Christ wants to set us free from sin and to not be enslaved in it. And so many times we're enslaved doing a job we hate Enduring a situation that is wrong, going through life, struggling and fighting and crying and begging, and we don't have to. Christ's purpose in dying on the cross was that you, he might deliver you from this present evil age. And our insistence to hang on to this world is where much of our trouble comes from. So, let me say a couple other things about this. We are in the process of becoming what we're going to be for eternity. Did you know that? Someone says, well, when, when I get there, you know, it's, I'll recognize it's going to be different. Let me tell you something. It's already begun. It began when you became a Christian and Christ began to transform you into the image of his son. When back in the Garden of Eden, when God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and with dominion. I want to share a couple things about God is a trinity. Y'all agree with that? How many of you knew that you are a trinity? I don't see any hands. You are a trinity. And I'll, let me illustrate this. You have a body. Everybody here have a body? Is that all there is to you? Well, no. 
There's more inside. Well, what else is there? Well, the Bible says that God breathed into man's nostrils and he became a living soul. So we have a soul. Is that right? So a soul is part of who and what we are. But is that all there is to you? A body and a soul? Some of you are catching on now. You have a spirit also, don't you? Which one's the most important? <laughs> what a theological question, huh? Well, they're all important. None of them are unimportant. Your body is the temple of God. Your soul is the seat of the will and where you make choice. And your spirit is the uh, dwelling place of God. God communes through the spirit to the soul and out the body. And he works with all three. And that's why the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, completely, fully. God is not interested in just re rescuing your body or just your soul or just your spirit. God's salvation incorporates all three. And he's busy transforming us from a trinity in the world to a trinity in the forever. We're made in the image of God, and man is the similitude of God. You don't realize how big a deal this is. God is not concerned with your comfort. He's concerned with your conformity. He's not concerned with your pocketbook. He's concerned with the place of Christ in your heart. What you face is an opportunity, not a problem. And so from God's perspective, he will allow you to go through things that you never planned to go in ways you never thought you could. In my own life, I'll share this real quickly. Five years ago, I was diagnosed with stage four cancer of the neck and the throat. I asked the doctor what that meant and he said, uh, well, if they, the prognosis was they was gonna do surgery and chemo and radiation and gonna get the full battery of stuff and, and uh, my radiologist says, no, we're not going there. He says, we're going to do chemo and we're going to do radiation, but you're not going to do surgery. I said, well, what would it mean if I did? The doctor said to me, well, if they took the lump out of the side of your neck, it'd leave a big hole and your head would be laid over to the side. And if they took the tumor off of the back of your tongue, they'd take the majority of your tongue out and talk like this. Now, that's not a good prospect for preachers. And so God healed me completely. And there are no signs of cancer left. And I've been declared free from cancer. Praise God. I wouldn't have gone there. What I went through was nothing compared to what I went through later. And that's another story I'm not even going to tell you now. But God is preparing us for eternity.
And one of the first things I wrote, I, the week I found out, I wrote uh, an email to everybody I knew. And I says, I've been diagnosed with stage four cancer, and I want you to know that's true. But I do not want to hear one person tell me, oh, I'm so sorry. I says, I want to go through this experience in a way that will properly represent my Lord. And every week for 16 weeks, I sent out an update on my status and a little sermonette in the, in the message. And I think God used that in such a way as I heard people uh, put me on their prayer list. One prayer list went all the way around the world, literally. God used that in, in people's lives that they would let me know uh, that that is so beautiful. That is so amazing. I think that is so what God wants from us. I don't think he wants us to moan about it. I think he wants us to glorify him in it. And so I'm sharing with you the idea of being preserved blameless. Because the scripture says, in the very God of peace, sanctify you wholly. And that word sanctify, as you know, means set apart. He wants to set you apart from the things that the world is after. It's not comfort. We can complain about our aches and pains, and you've got them, and I've got them, and almost everybody here is my age or older, or maybe a little younger, but it doesn't matter. We're living life to the full. And those aches and pains are opportunities for God to be seen. How gracious you are to others. How important is it for you to worship? How necessary is it for you to read your Bible and to grow in your understanding and knowledge? God is really trying to do a work here and what's ahead is gonna help you. Can I hear an amen? I think it's important we amen that. Because God is not concerned with your comfort, that comes later. Right now, we're on a journey of being reshaped and remade and changed so that we look and sound and act like Jesus. Now, let me introduce another thought here. It's one that you probably have not heard of. Uh, if you have, let me know later. I'd like to know who else is saying this. But uh, we come into this world in a world, right? And that world is contained within another world. And that world is contained in a greater world. Where do you get that, preacher? Well, I get it out of the third chapter of John for one place. Jesus used the imagery of a, a baby being born. A baby is in a world all its own. It acknowledges the world outside the womb in a loud noise, a bright light, uh, pressure. Uh, I'm not sure how else uh, women you know, I don't. Uh, but uh, 
he's only slightly aware of the world he's in. He's aware of food and sleep and rest and growth, and that's his thing there in that world. That world is there to provide him a body that will be uh, moved from there into life as we know it here in the physical realm. And if you could, let's assume that we invent a, uh, uh, an instrument, a machine of some type, that is capable of communicating with this unborn. And now for illustration purpose, let's also assume that you individually have been selected to be the first person to communicate with this unborn child in a language he understands. And now let's assume it is the day for you to share this, whatever you're going to share with them. What are you going to tell him? If you start to tell him about freedom, all he knows is confinement. If you try and tell him about things you've seen, he only has a, just light or dark. He doesn't understand perception. If you try and explain sound, he doesn't translate. I, I made a trip to Japan uh, a few years back, and when I got off the plane, I felt like a brand new baby. You say, what do you mean? Well, I couldn't talk to anyone. <laughs> I didn't know the language. I didn't know where I was, and I didn't know where I was going. And I didn't know what to eat because I didn't know what the diet was. And, you know, I was kind of like a brand new baby. I, di I didn't know anything. Sometimes we feel like that, don't we, in the middle of what we're doing. But God is in the business of transforming, changing, renewing, and restoring us to what he intended from the beginning. And his purpose is to deliver us from this world freed from sin. What a tremendous project he has taken on. And yet he's up to it. It's worthy of his total attention and his entire power. And for us, he created this planet and set it in the midst of this great creation. And it's for us to be transformed in. It's kind of like that original world, isn't it? We're now in a world like the unborn baby is in a world and we're going to be delivered from this present evil age. Wow. What an opportunity. We look at the rushing water sounds and we hear them and, and we see the falls and we're fearful. But it's because we're not looking beyond. Look what God has done and look at what God is doing and what he has in store. Eye has not seen. Ear has not heard. Neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has in store for them that love him. I can only give you a small picture as I see through a glass darkly. But I can share with you a little bit about what it's about.
Because when I was born again, my spirit was wholly and completely sanctified. It was set apart to God's purposes and, and it has become one and is sealed to me. It is welded within me and it cannot be changed. It's irreversible. I own the spirit of God and he owns me. And that is a permanent, completed part of this sanctification. But it's not all there is to it. I have a soul. You have a soul. And that soul has built within it the opportunity to choose. When, when the Garden of Eden, Adam was placed in the Garden of Eden, and God told him of all the trees of the garden you may freely eat, except for this one in the midst of the garden. Which, one, which tree was that? No, tree of knowledge of good and evil. But you're right, the tree of life was also in the middle. There were two trees right in the middle. And when you have two, what do you call that? Choice. That's choice. This is God's will. You may freely eat of it. This one is not God's will. Don't eat it. They thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. We know the story Adam and Eve took of the tree. They died spiritually. Their spirit was just corrupted. And only one thing will change it. The blood of Jesus. When they were judged in the Garden of Eden, and uh, Satan was judged, and then Eve was judged, and then man was judged, and, and the Lord cast them out of the garden, he put a flaming sword at the entrance to the garden. And for years I thought that was to keep man out. But I discovered that that's not the case. Because I was, I was reading back in, in the book of Revelation and, and, and I saw right there in the last part of it, the tree of life appears again. It starts in Genesis, it appears again in the last chapter of Genesis, but in, in between I discovered that the tree of life is Jesus Christ. I am come that you might have life and have it to the full, the abundant life. John 10, 10. So God's spirit is sealed for eternity, but our soul has to go through a process and we do it because we choose the wrong thing and we feel the consequence of it and we don't want to do that anymore. Uh, doc, guy went to the doctor and he says, Doctor, it, it hurts when I, I bend my arm like this. And he says, well, don't bend your arm like that. <laughs> it's painfully simple, but we don't learn that easy, do we? When God wants us to do something, he lets us experience it until we choose the right way. And we'll repeat bad situations over and over until we realize God's trying to show us something. God's trying to tell us something. God wants us to be somebody more than what we are. And so we finally choose the right way and we say, I should have tried that a long time ago. So our soul discovers the truth about God's ways and we begin to adopt them. And the more we adopt them, guess what happens? People notice. You are his 
witnesses. You declare the new life in Christ. That's what a witness is. Someone that exposes God to a dark and dying world. You declare the new life. And then one day, in the sweet by and by, as time rolls on, and we know not when this day is, maybe soon though, we're not sure. If we've already entered the grave experience and we have passed on from this life, Spirit, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So our spirit goes to be with the Lord. And the Bible talks about soul sleep. So the soul goes, takes a long nap. And the body begins to deteriorate and becomes dust. But one day, the trumpet will sound. And the dead in Christ shall rise. It's not all over it's over. And the dead in Christ shall rise and meet the Lord in the air. Body resurrected, soul transformed, spirit sealed into eternity. A new you that's eternal and blameless. This was uh, Paul's prayer to the Thessalonians. We're in the process of in that transformation. We're in the process of becoming what we cannot explain. I know a little bit about the body. The Bible says we'll have a body likened to that of Jesus. So let me ask you, what was that body like? Well, I remember one occasion he walked through solid walls, rock walls. Hmm, that'd be fun. Can you imagine playing tag in heaven? That'd be cool. Or uh, he could be recognized or not recognized as those on Emmaus Road. Or he could sit down and eat fish on the bank of the Galilee with the disciples. Or if he wanted to go 10 million years without eating, that's okay too. You're not dependent upon the things of the world for life. What will it be? Well, let me say that you began this journey when you said yes to Jesus, and you began to recognize and to experience tastes of heaven. The Rodney songs, Charlie, they sing about heaven, and you begin to taste it, and you want more. A preacher opens the scriptures and it, it just lives for you and you want more. Someone shows an expression of love to you and you want more. Someone opens the door of an opportunity to serve and you have such a warm feeling in it and you want more. Those are tastes of heaven. Heaven's going to be like that. You're going to Taste heaven. When you get there, one of the biggest surprises many Christians are going to find is, hey, I've already been here a little bit. I've tasted this before. And this is what I want forever. And that's what you're going to have forever. What a wonderful privilege
to live in such a day as this when we may even see the coming of the Lord. I don't know about you. I don't know where you are on your journey. But I do know that God's purpose is not to leave you a cake half cooked. I don't know if I was raised in southern Missouri and we were so poor we couldn't even pay attention. But one of the things mom found that she, she could afford to do is cook pancakes. And, and so she cooked pancakes. And one day she was cooking pancakes and got distracted. And she didn't get back in time to turn the pancake. And so when she got back, it was a little bit dry. And she served it to me anyway. Have you ever eaten a half-cooked pancake? <laughs> it's hard to choke down. But God is not going to leave you a half-cooked pancake. He's going to finish the job with you. And it says here, the very God of peace is doing this work. He's not going to be distracted from it. You are in the preparation stage of eternity. Yield to the cook because he can make you come out good. When we look at Christ, we first imitate him. After we've imitated him a while, we begin to emulate him. And after we've emulated Christ for a while, we begin to articulate him. And that's when our witness becomes very effective. Sure, it's important to have Bible studies to learn. It's even more important to begin to experience things from God's perspective. But when you can share that as a lifestyle, people are touched and they are changed because they're hungry too. Now, as we close this time of this conference, I believe you've heard from heaven. I believe you've heard what God's looking for. And I hope that you take it to heart that you're going to be there pleasing to the Lord. Because without faith, it is impossible to please Him. 